This episode of New to Who is dedicated to Terence Dix. Sweet dogs. We are new to Who. Whether you don't know the old and only the new, or just need an entry into classic Doctor Who, we are the chaps with suggestions for you. I'm Stephen. I'm Cole. I'm Dan. And I'm Pete. Hey! hey. Look who's back. <laughs> Our old friend Pete. So you're obviously a Pertwee fan, Pete. I love Pertwee, yeah, as I stated many times <laughs> in the last time I was on the show. So he's your doctor? He's definitely, yeah. He's the one who got you into Doctor Who in the first place? Uh, yeah, well, um, Baker, Davidson, Pertwee, all three of those mm. guys, uh, my dad was a big fan of, so ah. watched a lot of as a, as a kid. One of those, uh, one of those great stories, one of those Pertwee stories is Spearhead from Space. Yes. Yeah, we we're doing Spearhead from Space today. Yes, we are. And not before time. This is the season opener for season seven and also, mm-hmm. uh, the opening story for John Pertwee as the Doctor. And also the first, uh, the first ever full color story. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which we will talk about. Glorious color. Yeah, so very much a milestone story. Yes, it did mark the beginning of a very different show. Mm. Um, not only was it in colour, well, of course we've got the uh, the beginning of the Earthbound years, or the yes. you know this is uh, the the last time we would have seen Doctor Who was the end of the War Games, mm-hmm. where Patrick Troughton's Doctor was exiled to Earth. Yeah, and then I don't know what the weight would have been like, but the next thing you see. Is Pertwee falling out of a TARDIS in glorious colour? Yes. (laughs) So many things different. Yeah. Such a great start. All right, shall we get into our production team then? Mm. For sure. So our producer for this story, uh, but not for subsequent stories in Season 7 and indeed all of the Pertwee years following, is uh, Derek Sherwin. Mm -hmm. So... He's a producer for for this story, but also a producer of uh, a number of the season six stories with Troughton at the tail end of the Troughton era as well in black and white. Um, but uh, our director is, is Derek Martinez. Or yeah. Martinez. What do we think? Whoa. Fantastic. Yeah. Some of those shots. Not my goodness. <laughs> my favorite. One of my favorite bits of the whole story is when. Like the soldiers find Pertwee on the ground and one of them says, is he dead? And then it cuts immediately to Dr. Henderson saying, no. Yeah, they did that a few times. <laughs> it was so really it, good. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I really love that. Actually, if we're going to talk about his direction, can we talk about the fact that it was on film, mm. the fact that it was in colour, yeah. and that first model shot of the TARDIS, because I love this shot, <laughs> materialising in the, in the woods. Sure. And before it cuts to Pertwee coming out, it's just that one shot. Mm. The colours, mm. my God, I want it on a T-shirt. Mm. <laughs> I do, I want it on a T-shirt. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's so vibrant. And it's, uh, and the, yeah, the direction is like, yeah, like little things like those those cuts in the middle of like lines. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, and then there's that whole, we'll talk about it later, but there's that whole uh, doll making sequence. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. fantastic. I um, really enjoyed all the handheld scenes as well. Oh, yeah. mm. Gave an awesome dynamic feeling to yeah, exactly. every scene. Yeah, exactly. It was yeah, fantastic. It, it, I wish more. Just Doctor and Who something that, that you way. didn't really see in Doctor Who back then. So mm. yeah, it's really interesting that they went that way. It's really uh, the whole thing just feels so fresh compared to the season before it, because it, mm-hmm. it's uh, shot on film. It also kind of has that feel of like a classic '60s spy film. Yeah, just, for sure. Yeah, definitely. It really feels yeah. like that to me. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Written by Robert Holmes. 
Ah, oh, yes. Of course. So we know Robert Holmes as a seasoned Doctor Who writer. I think this is only his third script for the show and to date probably by far exceeding his previous efforts. Mm. Uh, this is, I guess, iconic Doctor Who in many ways. And, you know, we look at the way in which the show is rebooted every now and then. Mm. So we'll, we did the TV movie last time. Yeah. There's definite homages and, and visual sort of links back to the imagery of Spearhead from Space. Mm. Uh, and we saw it also with um, the eleventh hour as well with Matt Smith, yeah, definitely. In the hospital picking yeah. out the costume. Yeah. Um, so this is a story that very much resonates through the history of Doctor Who, and and is seen, I think, quite correctly in many ways as a fantastic jumping off point. It's a, and I said earlier that it's not a second, not, it's not a moment too soon. I guess that we've yeah. come to this. Mm. This really is one of the great stories to start new Who, new Who fans on uh, classic. I couldn't I agree more, and I'm going to say it's probably my favourite first Doctor story. Oh, ever, yeah. Yeah. ever. Yeah. I like, think a lot I, of people would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a great script from Holmes, and there's, there's yeah. all that, that that usual stuff you get from him. There's all that, that quite good world building. Like mm. you said, it's kind of a soft reboot. It feels like they're really trying to start again, and like they, it feels like they kind of try they try to speak basic science to children and like teach them a little bit. Yeah, like there's there's a couple of bits where just with a few lines, like Holmes, like he talks about how there are 500 planets in the galaxy so discovered so far that are capable of supporting life yeah and that we've been sending space probes and maybe someone's mm. who knows who's found one and, uh, <laughs> out there just little basic primer things like that like, yeah it's peppered throughout this script that i really love oh, I, I definitely and you know we're talking science little bits the thing that i've always remembered since reading the original uh, target novelization by terence sticks is that that bit where you can't possibly have a meteorite shower fall in the same place <laughs> And if you think about mm. it, it's like, well, why, why wouldn't that be the case? Because the Earth rotates around the sun, obviously. Mm. It, it's basically impossible to have to be targeted for that to be the yep. case. So that's kind of like the signal that this is an What invasion. a reveal. Hey? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful great. little just sort of it's note really that you play at the beginning of the story that Holmes plays that I think is just really clever. And so, I mean, uh, so it's definitely a Robert Holmes write, but obviously co-written with the script editor. Oh, Terrence Dix. Terrence Dix. And we've yeah. left him to last for a reason, haven't we, Jensen? Yeah, we certainly have. He's a titan. <laughs> a giant. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Uh, someone that we've said on the on the podcast before is probably the man who most understands the mechanics of classic Doctor Who. Um, mm. Passed away recently, actually, on the 29th of August, aged 84. And uh, to my mind, at least, the most influential person who worked on classic if, Doctor if, Who. If there was one man who maybe even shaped Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. And was, we'll get into that later on. But yeah. Terence Dix is a script editor uh, for this story and, in fact, for all of the, the Pertwee years to come. Yeah, and it's pretty tight. I mean, it's a pretty tight script. I mean, the, the sort of first third of it, I guess, mostly deals with like the Doctor yeah. getting, getting back into it, introducing mm. the the new Doctor and introducing us to uh, John Pertwee and some and not- of his great quirks that you see right through later years and later Doctors. Mm. It's great. But also a really strong introduction of the unit setup, right? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we, we get an understanding of what the Pertwee character might be like, but the the action is propelled through Liz Shaw and through uh, the Brigadier yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so it's masterful the way in which we sort of get introduced to the character of the Doctor. So I guess we're into our TARDIS team. Well, yeah, essentially, yes. I mean, for one of a bit, they are the TARDIS team for this, yeah. aren't they, really? I mean, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the Brigadier, played by the wonderful Nicholas Courtney. Yeah. Um, how many times have we seen him previously? Twice, is it? Twice. In Troughton? Yes, well, twice in Troughton, but he also played another role as Brett Vion in uh, yeah. the 
Dalek Master Plan way back with mm. good Hartnell Hartnell as well. Oh, wait, wait, oh yeah. yeah. He looks so young in that. <laughs> he does, does Oh, he's he? baby-faced. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the, the third appearance of him in, I guess, his most famous role, not just in Doctor Who, but maybe in his, in his entire sure. lifetime as mm. the Brigadier, Alastair Gordon, left Brigadier Stewart. This signifies a long involvement with Doctor Who. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, these are the unit years. Starting, okay. Yeah, starting from now. Like, so, well, the, yeah, because the, like, when the Doctor's exiled on Earth, that's when the unit becomes sort of like an every, almost every single yeah. story kind of yep. thing rather than just almost, once in a while. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I yeah. mean, for the Pertwee era, you talk about the TARDIS team, it's mm. almost, there isn't really a TARDIS team, it's the unit team. That's mm. the unit it's family. True. And, yeah. true. and they're the, the main character players for the, the whole era. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And what a team. Uh, there's not many people who can pull off a boiler suit with a tie. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. He does a pretty good job. Yeah, I know. We were watching it again the other day. I said to Steve, those aren't pants. Yeah. <laughs> it's wearing a onesie. It's wearing they, overalls. They they, yeah. They've clearly uh, repurposed a, yeah. a military uniform, just sewn it all together to give it a jumpsuit look a bit more spacey. And to, be yeah, fair, yeah, yeah. to be fair, someone else is wearing a belt around theirs and you couldn't tell. Yeah, to be, tell. look, guys, it's the Brigadier. He doesn't have time for like worrying about fashion or like what he looks yeah, like. He I, just, I needs to get, he just wants to put a onesie on like immediately, <laughs> very quickly, and then I, get to I, work. I, I see his eyes flicking open at the crack of dawn. Yeah. He hops out of bed. Bed, straight into the boiler suit. Combs the mustache. Yeah. Briefly. Yeah. You want to take spend out the door, bit of toast and tea. Get handed to him as he's on his way out the door yeah. already. By his valet. <laughs> yeah, right. And one other introduction for the story. Yeah. Liz Shaw, played by the wonderful Caroline John. Yeah. Um, this is a really strong female character in Doctor Classic mm. Doctor Who. One mm. of the, the rare instances, I guess. We look back at Barbara when we first, um, yeah, you know, join Doctor Who uh, in an exciting adventure in 1963. Uh, later on, perhaps you have Romana. Um, Ace could be another a strong female sure. character, I guess. Mm. But, but you know, Liz Shaw is uh, is someone from Cambridge who has uh, half what is it half a dozen degrees in various <laughs> fields of yeah. science. Yeah. She's eminently capable, and she doesn't she doesn't like she doesn't need to be there. Like she has no she uh, doesn't volunteer. She gets kind of drafted in a way yeah, by the by unit and she has she's like I've got stuff to get back to so if you guys don't need me I'm yeah, going to get out of here she's got something going on at Cambridge yeah. she's <laughs> like I didn't ask to be here yeah. Yeah. I love that I love that that choice they do that kind of again with um, with uh, Pamela Salem's character in Remembrance yes true yeah, same yeah. kind of a thing but mm. that's the whole thing with Liz Shaw like she She's not a damsel in distress. No, she and she's—they kind of make her as a character who's almost as not you know she's almost as smart as a doctor. Like she's mm, a scientist, mm. and she. But doesn't that you think that kind of becomes a problem later on in the season because they start to realize that they need someone to ask stupid questions <laughs> for the audience, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the brigadier's job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe not. That's not so fair. <laughs> no, but that is true, actually. Um, the, the reason why Liz Shaw is written out at the end of season seven, aside from the fact that Carol and John was pregnant at the time, is, um, as Terence Dix later says, um, the Doctor needs a character who essentially passes him test tubes and asks him questions, mm. which is very much that audience identification yeah. figure. We spoke about Joe Grant when we did our episode yeah. way back on uh, Terror of the Autons and you know how important she is. But I think, you know, just before that, uh, yeah, to have this character of Liz Shaw throughout season seven actually is one of the highlights, I think, of that season. Mm. And aren't the Brig and Liz just so good together? Mm. Oh, 
the smirk off between the two of them in that first scene is <laughs> yeah. fantastic. Yeah, meeting of the like smirks, a all right. A couple oh, of goodness. dusty gunslingers throwing smirks at two paces. It's fantastic. <laughs> because they're kind of on the... They kind of they just have each other for, for a couple of episodes because mm. the Doctor's kind of out yeah. of action for a while. They've got to drive the story yeah. while the Doctor's being introduced and they do a pretty slow introduction, which is mm-hmm. great. Yeah. But yeah, the, those two are really pushing the story forward from the get-go, really. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, I've always sort of seen Spearhead as a slow burner in general. Yeah. I mean, you need that space. You need that time. We've, mm-hmm. got, a, we've got an unconscious doctor yeah. on an alien world in an alien hospital and only one connection to his past, which is the Brigadier, and that has to all unfold at its own pace. It all has to sort of come together. And they have yeah. a few really great, really lovely moments together at the start. They're kind of, she's kind of... You know, she's not really into into the idea of being there, and the brigadier's he's got the scientist. He has to wrangle and get her to, to make things happen for him. Mm. But then they obviously warm to each other. There's that point where um, Scobie is, mm. talks about how uh, it's pretty nice to have a pretty face around, and <laughs> you expect the brigadier. You know, I don't know what I was expecting, but uh, the brigadier comes through immediately and says she's not just a pretty face, yeah. which I thought was really like he's it like because they're not exactly best mates yet, but he's already sticking up for her because she's yeah. part of his team. I love that. Well, he. He headhunted her for a reason and yeah. it wasn't for her looks. It was for her abilities and skills. Because he respects her. And I just yeah. think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I've got one question about the Brigadier, which I've... Uh, it's always been in the back of my head, but I've only just put a voice to it uh, the other night. What's the baton for? Like, what is that baton? <laughs> ah, it's for swaggering. I no. know. It's, it's to have under his arm. Well, <laughs> you know, but... If, if you read the Target novelization by Terence <gasps> Dix... There is a reference to uh, in in the scene with the news crew where he has to command attention. <laughs> yeah. it, it basically says the brigadier hadn't been on a barrack square in quite a while, <laughs> but he could still command attention when he needed to. And that's your baton right there. It must yeah. be. Eyes right. All that sort of thing. Because once, uh, once every once in a while in this story, it really looks like he wants to clobber someone with it. And I'm just like, you know, you can see him flexing his hand. He just like he just wants to hit someone with that baton. But they, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what it's for. Yeah. I don't really know. And it's, ah. it's his way of peacocking. I think. Yeah. 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 Hey, it looks great. He pulls yeah, it off. He does yeah. it I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> no, neither would I. All right, well, gents, we now come to the central character as played by the great John Pertwee. Mm. Yeah. Look, we've had this discussion with you before. In fact, <laughs> last week, this time last week, you and I were on a big hike together. <laughs> and, uh, and you asked me an interesting question. Yeah. And you said, um, like, why... Why Pertwee? Why Pertwee? And, and you know, why is he your favourite doctor? Yeah. And I had to think about that. And I remembered when we were doing Tomb of the Cybermen mm. and I sort of mentioned that you can never really pick just one. And I thought, well, that's true because, you know, at one point in time when I was a kid, Troughton was my favourite Doctor. Mm. He was my first Doctor that I read in a Target. Yeah. Uh, Tomb of the Cybermen was yep. a huge one for me. Um, so I'm going to say that Pertwee's not necessarily my favourite Doctor, but this era, the Earthbound era, mm-hmm. is my favourite era. <laughs> and I liken it... I liken it um, to comfort food yeah in the sense that i've often mentioned to you guys in the past that for some odd reason whenever i think about pertwee or watching pertwee i imagine a rainy day <laughs> the rain smattering against the window pane watching pertwee and having dippy eggs and soldiers <laughs> and just like that eggs and soldiers it's comfort food for me yeah. and i always have that image and sweet dogs if you are going to watch spearhead from space anytime soon Get out the dippy eggs and soldiers. I think yeah. you'll agree <laughs> that they, uh, they they go hand in hand. 
as as is your Dr. Toopey. You, oh, is comfort food I for you? I could not agree more. Like, <laughs> yeah, my dad was a huge Pertwee mm. fan, as I think I spoke about last time I was on the show. And yeah, it just it feels like home to me watching ah. Unit Era. It's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. Mm. But I feel that way about Baker and uh, Davidson as well, but especially Pertwee. He's just, yeah. I, I think that's fair. And, and Cole, that point about not having a favourite Dr. That's very much where I am now, but through mm. different periods of my life, yeah. having a doctor that I most identify with or just want to read more about, because mm. largely it was the target books for me, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the TV shows. And I, I actually didn't see any Pertwee, and I certainly didn't see Spearhead until I was you know, in university. So mm. um, for me, these stories are, are ones that I would read you know, sick at yeah. home, from school with a target book sort of on my lap as I, you know, as a rain fell, as you say. Mm. And it was those, you know, that run from a roundabout spearhead through to Terror of the Zygons that were on the shelves. Yeah. Uh, and, and predominantly they were Pertwee's. And mm. i got to admit, the first time I read one, I didn't realise it was Pertwee. You know, Doctor oh. Who was always Tom Baker for me, right? Oh, so mm. you read it as Baker? Well, initially, but I thought, no, hang on, something's wrong here. He's got white hair. I saw the illustrations in the Autumn Invasion <laughs> book. Um and, and uh, you know, that I have the same feeling, like that reminiscence of the Target books and the Terrence Dix novelizations and mm. being in, in, in primary school and, you know, being sick from at home um, from school, reading those those books. That's the, the Pertwee era for me. That's the unit era yeah. for me. It's the Terrence Dix era for me too. Mm. That's so funny. You can cut this out, but when I, my first target was uh, the Android, Android invasion, invasion. Yeah. and I, I think I, did, I didn't even realize that there were other doctors than McCoy. So I read it as McCoy. Oh wow! Just, just, <laughs> this is like before you ever made the realization that the Doctor regenerated into totally. different actors. Yeah. yeah, and it has Baker on the cover, and I was like, "Who's this book?" And then uh, <laughs> I just read it as McCoy, and then I realized, you know, about most of the way through. What was your first target? It would have been Planet of the Daleks, but Auton Invasion would have been in that first batch. Yep. Auton Invasion, Sweet Dorks, is the uh, the weirdly changed name of Spearhead from Space for the target of the Blizzard. Which, yeah, yeah. which came first. Why, yeah, why do they do that? Oh, uh, well, Terrence Dix was asked to novelise or choose a story to novelise, and he said, well, I'll choose Spearhead from Space as the first target novelisation. Uh, and his editor said, Spearhead from Space, that's what kind of name is that? Change it. And, and he says, well, what can I change it to? I'll change it to what it's about, which is the Auton Invasion. It's a and bloody that's how it's wonderful name. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I guess if the Autons were already a thing by then, uh, because Terror had come out, maybe they're like, we have yeah. to sell the Auton angle. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And what a great idea to bring it all home for a season or two uh, and just like ground him mm. on the Earth. Because so, we've been away on all kinds of alien planets. Uh, the Doctor's been flying through space doing all kinds of crazy alien stuff. And for a couple of seasons, we get him stuck on Earth with the same kind of unit cast week in, week out. And it's just like, it's a nice kind of grounding thing to have it have him be on Earth. And it also probably saved them a lot of money on locations. Yeah, and exactly. Right. It was a big thing about they needed to make the storylines a lot more relatable yeah. to the mm. public at the time. You know, like viewership had been down a touch. So That's this, right. you know, was a soft reboot. So, yeah, they decided to... Uh, Bring it back home and more Earthbound stories, which was a Good great idea. choice in the end. I think so too. He's, he's an interesting casting, isn't he, as well? When you he think is, about yeah. this man, ex-Navy, yeah. uh, as we can see from the tattoo yeah. in the shower scene. I love <laughs> that you get to see his Navy yes. tattoo. I just think that's fantastic. Predominantly did a lot of sort of musical and comedy, um, comedy theatre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- we get the comedy aspect. Yeah. There's some great Pertwee-like <laughs> comedy in this one. It's fantastic. Um, 
but yeah, like to it's an interesting choice. Gone from a little uh, a funny little weirdo to a uh, little cosmic hobo. Yeah, cosmic hobo to <laughs> yeah. a tall, just a dandy. Yeah, <laughs> He's great. I was gonna say yeah. I'd love when he looks himself in the mirror and he like doesn't like what he sees, but then immediately starts to warm to his yeah, own yeah. face. Yeah, yeah. yeah really, I love that too. Oh, good, I don't know. Good pertwee gurning, rather distinctive. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, the gurning. The we gurning. get we yeah. get a lot of good gurning in this uh, uh, yeah. story. It's really great. Um, we were talking about pertwee. Also, I should just say it was the hundredth anniversary of his birth this year yes. in July, yeah. and. If our sweet dorks haven't as yet had a chance to listen to it, there's a wonderful BBC Radio 4 documentary yes. by Sean Pertwee talking mm. about his father and with some wonderful archival recordings of his father dating back to, I think, you know, around about the 1940s or 50s. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It is great. Mm. Steve, here's a thought. If you had to, gosh, I don't know, sum up Spearhead from Space in like, one sentence. Oh. Well, no, wait. A high concept, if you will. <laughs> what would it be? Well, I don't know, but it might be something like this. A newly regenerated doctor and unit fight an alien invasion by a gestalt consciousness that seeks to take control of the Earth through an army of plastic dummies. Fantastic. You just came up with that. I could said that better myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it's a story that we sort of see many times during the Pertwee years, isn't it? The alien mm. invasion. Uh, and we see the Autons again, obviously, a year later mm. with the Master Ooh. in Terror of the Autons. We, yeah, which we've covered, which mm. is our episode two. Yeah. But uh, we should probably mention that this is the first Autons story. Yeah, yeah. The Spearhead from Space is the first appearance of the Nestines, or the Nestine Intelligence, mm-hmm. in the Autons. So, yeah, it's, we'll talk about that a bit later, but, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> awesome stuff. I feel like that's our show's catchphrase. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the doctor's catchphrase. Great podcast, by the way. Hey, fellas, what's that noise? Oh, uh, is it coming through on the mics? What's that's, what's in that trunk over there, that glowing trunk, mm-hmm. Cole? What did you... Never you mind. Cole, have you been thieving again? Look, I'm hungry. Fix me some grub. Uh, Steve, I think you should open that case. I'm going to no, no. open this. Oh, my dear Lord. What is that? Oh, guys. I told you not oh, to do that. Uh, there's someone at the door, guys, and it does not. <gasps> close the case up. Close it up. Danny close looks it. like you. <laughs> oh, he's <it's> so handsome. <laughs> Maybe we should let him in. No, close the case. Close the close case. Close right, the case. Okay. My God, whatever you do, don't open it again. He's standing here. All right. He's, he looks like he's he's wandering off. Well, looks like we've averted some disaster. And not, I n- guess no. on that note, we're in spoiler town. <laughs> Speaking of poaching, can we just begin this podcast proper by talking about uh, Sam Seeley? Played by the wonderful Neil Wilson. That's the one. <laughs> like, as soon as the, it's the first, is it the first scene? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty early on. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the second scene after we get the unit. Um, and, uh, he, he immediately shows up uh, mm. and you can t- you sense immediately that he's dodgy and the mm. little scarf yeah. wrapped around his neck, the, the oh. fact that he's got a bag, all, yeah. the fact that he's setting the world's crappiest rabbit trap, yeah, uh, all sets you off to the idea that he, he's, you know, and they even they didn't even put a belt on him. It's yeah. a piece of rope. It's like you know <laughs> that bright red piece of material, that garish yeah. scarf. It's, yeah, it's, it's got like, it's got sort of gypsy poacher it's vibes. It's so theatrical. Mm. It was very Danny's champion of the world. <laughs> yeah, as far as I remember, and um, it's very pantomime is what yeah. it is. Mm. And then as soon as he speaks, oh. classic BBC. Oh. They make him. They give him like a sort of Somerset Dorset. West Country, South Downs accent. In Essex. <laughs> yeah. In Essex. It's meant, to be, it's meant to be set in Essex, but for some reason, there's, a, there's sort of a we're to Cornish believe. poacher. Yeah, we're to believe. <laughs> and he's been living in the woods with his wife all these years. 
Uh, and so he he steals up one of these um, nesting consciousness things, and mm. uh, and he shows up quite a few more times in the story. <laughs> Classic BBC. They immediately start with sort of that casual BBC classism. Absolutely, uh, they mm. dodgify this sort of West Country <laughs> dude, and then if later you, again, yeah, absolutely, with uh, the porter, the hotel porter. He's Welsh. He's Welsh and, uh, so yeah. anyone who's a meddler <laughs> in this story, yeah. anyone who's a meddler in this story has a different accent. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Like a working, they're all working class meddlers. Yeah, that's can't, right. Can't trust a porter. Can't trust that porter. Yeah, no, well, we're always looking for the next quid aren't we yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> or the next big story so thanks watch BBC. your bags while they carry them <laughs> <laughs> but uh and that kicks off the story really yeah so pete this is a favorite story of yours i think you were talking earlier about his sort of cribs from a number of other films and influences yeah definitely i mean this is classic sci-fi horror at its at its best really you think <laughs> invasion of the body snatchers yeah, yeah. and sort of the thing yeah and, uh, totally and other stories we've seen, we've seen it a few times, but they really do a great job in this episode. It's a really good kind of pod person, mm. uh, pe- mm. imposter, doppelganger, body mm-hmm. snatcher kind of an idea, which is just so scary. We often refer to it as body horror, don't we? Which we did with back when we sure. did Terror of the Zygons and also Terror of the Autons, actually. Yeah. It's that yeah. the idea that this era does so well uh, that they make the ordinary terrifying, mm-hmm. where yeah. they've they've... Not only have they got shop dummies and things like that, mm. which kids see in a window every day, mm-hmm. but they've also got that idea that anyone could be an Auton, like yep, even, yeah. your, even your mum and dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, just, that's exactly what we did. I just think it's so that good. was Zygons. Like even mum and dad could be a Zygon. <laughs> yeah, a policeman in the street yeah. is not maybe a safe person anymore to go sure. and talk to. And a, and a place like Madame Tussauds, where you know, yeah, school children yeah. would go on a, yep. on a yearly basis. Totally. That they would be, you know, Autons themselves. And, you know, this is this is something that maybe sort of speaks to an anxiety at the time. The We have a number of stories, you know, things like episodes like of the Avengers where, um, you know, doppelgangers are replacing people in power and they're Soviet spies and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, drawing, as you say, Pete, on the sci-fi body horror stuff like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the thing. This is, this is like high sci-fi classical tropes that Doctor mm. Who is drawing mm. on here and they're mm. very familiar to the audience of the time. We even have a lead villain who's, um, you know, well-known actor from... Uh, <laughs> Other from, body uh, horror. From uh, or Hammer Horror. Hammer, yeah. Hammer Horror at the time. Yeah. And, yes. um, so, so this is uh, Hugh Burden, who also, speaking of the Avengers before, is in The Grandeur That Was Rome, that episode too. So this is someone who is perfectly mm. cast, I think, in the, yeah, in the role he's of, Cat, of Channing. Yeah, he's uh, he's wonderful as the bad guy that uh, be great. rubber face and uh, <laughs> you know like just the the straight look. He you know that, no expressions. It's wonderful. yeah. He's off just that cold stare that he yeah. gives people, and you, it's mm. immediately terrifying. Can I can I talk a little bit about Terence Dick's novelization again, okay, sure. just in regards to the character of Channing, because the way he's described in the book is just someone whose eyes are practically glowing, mm. and they just cut through you, yeah, mm. stop you in your tracks. And terrify you, isn't that so? <laughs> Cast his gaze on you, and yeah, it, it talks about the the features that are just sort of like very stoic. Those, it's all in the eyes, and that's supposed to the nesting intelligence there. That's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah exactly. It's all meant to be in the eyes, and I really think he he pulls it off. Well, they nailed a dead stare. It's wonderful. Yeah. Totally, if that was like their original intent in the script, that they nailed the casting totally right. Oh, oh my god, I was going to talk about this later. We should do it now. The shot of him behind the rippled glass, oh, yeah. with the, his oh, eyes man. peering through the rippled glass. Oh, what a great shot! He looks shot. so yeah. alien. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He looks yeah. like yes. a spider's eyes or something. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. unearthly. And there's that shot of him in the telephone booth at the yeah. hospital. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he's just standing. Yeah, there, he's not he's motionless. The phone. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So what is he doing? Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's something I'm going to say for Terence again as well Terence sticks with his writing that I mean it quite often reading the novelization I realized that the dialogue was almost word for word 
mm. from the book that was in the story, the way he's written the action is very much immediately conjurable to the story. Like mm. I see it in my head yeah. as I'm reading the book. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, now Terence Six is wonderful at that for sure. Do you want to talk about the targets and Terence? Well, let's let's do it now. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, I didn't grow up uh, reading a lot of the books. It wasn't until uh, more recently that I was introduced to them. We just had Doctor Who on all the time at home. So. Wow. So, be a bit, so, you've, uh, you, so you have read some? Uh, I've read a couple, but yep. only in the last cool. sort of few years. Yeah. Uh, something I didn't even know existed until, uh-huh. uh, you know, about probably a decade ago. So, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and speaking of targets and Terence, his name was on many of them. Yeah, around um, about 70-odd, I think. Was it 70? Yeah, Oh, goodness me. I knew it was over 50, but I didn't realise it was that many. When I, when I was a kid, for a long time, I actually just thought, before I'd seen a lot more of the show, I just read so many of the books, I actually mm. just thought Terence Dix was the writer of Doctor yeah. Who. Yeah. Because he was on, his name was on so many of the books. And we, and we talk about those school library shelves. We've always talked about the school library sure. shelves. How many of them were Terence Dix? Yeah. So many of the targets that were in any school library were quite often Terence Dix. In, the, in my local library, um, the Doctor Who books were just mixed in with the rest, and they were you know, by arranged by author, and so wow. I, usually I just go straight go to D. D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. Because it's easy. Thinking it was D for Doctor Who. No, no, D, no, D, <laughs> D for, for Dicks. Yeah, because he, he had the most, and I was like, I didn't have to track him down. Yeah. But we've said before, I think, because um, uh, we because we've as a collectively we've read so many Terence Dicks books. Uh, he's been a huge influence on us, but also mm-hmm. not just in Doctor Who, but. I know it's. I think it's. It's true for me, and I think it's true for you guys. And we've said it endlessly. We've probably stopped saying it, but um, he sort of encouraged me to continue reading and to develop mm. as a reader and to yeah. get better at it. So without without Dix's writing, I'm not sure I'd be as avid a reader as I am. And you know what? You're not the only one that I've noticed to say that. You know, since his passing, lots of people like from other podcasts, lots of people that run other blogs and stuff have said something similar. It's just sort of like they were encouraged to read mm. as children through reading the works of Terence Diggs. Yeah, look, I went on to do uh, honours by thesis in literature and philosophy. Mm. <laughs> it started in that school library yeah. with the Terence Diggs target novelisation. There is no way I would have got to that point if it wasn't for that love of reading that was instilled by Terence. Um, I was just going to say, the thing is, that you know, what's something that we're all going to have to grasp now is that fandom doesn't actually know a world without him in it. Mm, that's a good point. And it's a huge blow. Yeah. Yeah, it does feel like the godfather of Doctor Who in yeah. ways has passed on. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and he didn't. You know, it's, maybe it's also the fact that he, you know, he had so so much to do with the show as well as the the targets and stuff as well. But it's just yeah, yeah no, really, yeah, for yeah. sure. Particularly with the the Pertwee era, right? Because mm. he's script editor not just for the whole of the Pertwee era, but for a lot of season six as well, right? Yeah. So, and I think Paul Cornell, friend of the podcast, yeah, uh, has mentioned this in the past where Terence has written the third draft of every Doctor Who story. <laughs> That's from right. Basically, you know, the last season of Troughton through to the end of uh, of John Pertwee's era, and that's a massively important span of time. In that mm. time, you know, in the War Games with Mark Hulk, he's yeah. defined the uh, Time Lords are. Yeah, with uh, Robert Holmes here, we have you know incidental details around the binary cardiovascular system, the two yeah. parts. Yeah, yeah the so time that was Lords. The, that's right. That's, that's him. Right. Um, you know, the the Earth and this story too. Listing. Yeah, exactly right. Wow. Well. Uh, you know, the introduction of things like Omega later on when the three Doctors, mm. so much of Doctor Who lore yeah. comes from 
either you know Terence himself or Terence's influences uh, as script editor on the show. But also, um, just, also just a feeling like he sets a template for sort of um, you know there's uh, from then on there's always a little bit of, of adventure uh, and action, uh, but then there's sort of good dialogue and characters that you're invested in. But also, let's just like a spirit of a spirit of fun, good humour, mm. a little bit of a twinkle yeah. in the eye. That's very <laughs> Terence Sticks. I is, often we, we we were watching a documentary yes. the other day, weren't we? Me, Pete, and Stephen were watching a documentary on Spearhead. And uh, Terence Dix was interviewed on this documentary. And I remember turning to Steve and saying, you notice how his eyes just light up? Yeah. <laughs> his eyes just light up like a mischievous child when he's talking about his time on Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. He's part schoolboy, part like favourite uncle. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, he'd always smuggle you a sweet, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think my favourite part is just that he always slips in a little bit of science, often real science, basic, at the mm. basic level for kids who are watching the show. And I, I learned a, a whole lot from mm. that. Like I get, got, got piqued my interest at an early age and that kind of stuff. We well, made mm. it exciting. It mm. wasn't boring. And, it, you know, <laughs> and the way he did, the, let's just, the man could just tell a tale there you go. as well. And you know what? This is something that's massively underappreciated. I think the more and more that I sort of involve myself in, in literature studies and whatever else, the idea of understanding how narrative best works, I think, mm. is something that Terence knew inherently. Um, you know, and, and he never made a fuss of this, but he studied on, at Cambridge University under F.R. Leavis, who was, you know, one of the main exponents of new criticism, which very much has a, a primary uh, focus on the text and the construction of the text. I think, you know, that kind of deep subject matter expertise and passion for the way that stories work is something inherent in all of Dix's writing and especially mm. in the way that Doctor Who is shaped in the 70s as well. Mm. And when you pair him with uh, Robert Holmes, oh. you get a bit of magic. Incredible. <laughs> Just a little touch of stardust. <laughs> and it happens the other way around, of course. Uh, later on, it's ah. it's Dix who's the writer and Robert Holmes yeah. who's the script editor. <laughs> yeah. And we have one of the most perfect examples of Doctor Who, which we'll get to in time, Sweet mm. Dorks. It's the horror of Fang Rock, where yeah. not a line is wasted and that plot hangs together perfectly over four parts. It's mm. incredible. Mm. Mm. We'll get to that one, Sweet Dorks. We will. Mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But for now, uh, so did these two guys invent? They, did, they, did they create the Autons? Basically, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I'd say so. Yeah, we don't we don't see them before, um, but we see this writing partnership come up with it again. Obviously, with two mm. of the Autons too. Yeah, mm. let's talk a little bit about the Autons. The idea of this alien consciousness, the nesting intelligence. It's quite. Interesting, isn't it? I, I love this. I never, I, too. I never understood what a gestalt consciousness was mm. or gestalt entity was prior to Doctor mm. and prior to yeah. uh, Auton invasion. Yeah. <laughs> they use that word. They use that word. They use gestalt in Doctor Who a lot. They use that word a lot. <laughs> That's what this show kind of taught me about that. Yeah, but the idea of this like sort of bodiless intelligence coming to Earth and mm. inhabiting plastic, inanimate objects, mm. yeah. inanimate yeah. objects. Yeah. yeah. And it's it, like a hive mind. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's a great that's idea. right. We were talking about hive minds back Ark when we did Ark in Space. Yeah, yeah right. but this is definitely a hive mind. They're all sharing it. Every automated piece of plastic, I yeah. guess, is sharing the same consciousness. Yeah. It's, it's cool. a great idea. Yeah. Am I going to be in a, hi- a hive mind nitpicker again? Because uh, <laughs> we might it, be. It may might be, be. It may be a hive mind, but it's directed by a ce- by a central uh, overmind, oh <laughs> which is really directing a bunch of drones that share the well, thing. So maybe. You know, you, sorry yeah. to be the hive mind police again. But <laughs> Borg, think, Borg territory in a way. Like they're they're meant to be a hive mind, but also have a yeah. They have a they've got a queen. Don't they? a queen. Which, I don't yeah, know yeah, though. Yeah. I mean, like I'm thinking a bit more again. And sorry, to, I keep going back to the target Why of, of this story, but. I'm I'm thinking about they're describing an auton thinking from the point of view of the intelligence, right? Mm, mm, mm. So the auton is sent out as a scout yeah. to be looking for Sam Seeley's meteorite mm-hmm. that he's stolen. Um, and and poached you know, it. Yeah, when when the signal gets lost, 
the Autobahn sort of stops and, and becomes sort of immovable. And then it's sort of the, the intelligence grabs a closer one yeah. that's closer to the action and uses that one. Yeah. And this one does, this one cares not because he's not useful at the moment. Yeah. So they lay dormant like that. Yeah. 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 I love it. It's great. So that's why I sort of see sure. Hive Mind. But All controlled by that snot-filled bin bag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. So good. That's so probably the best description of it. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was trying to tell you, yeah, it was like a twitching cling wrap anus. I just couldn't quite <laughs> yeah. get my head around what the hell that I, is. But, but, I did, but I did really like it. Like, I'd love to. I forgot, yeah, that, yeah. I, I forgot that it breathes in and out, which I forgot, I totally forgot about. And I really, mm. I really, it's effective. It was I, a believable lung. I'm just being know? mean, but like, yeah, it's yeah. my field bin bag is how I remember it. But um, I, I do love that it's got that sort of pulsing core. <laughs> No, yeah. it's great. Well, yeah, it looked like it's breathing. It was great. Yeah, yeah it was. It, hey, it was scary. It was yeah. kind of silly, but I still found it quite scary. Look, it's scary, but it's not going to match the imagination of an eight-year-old reading the Auto no. Invasion, looking sure. at that Chris Achilles cover mm. of the sort of cephalopod with the tentacles and whatever else. I really wanted to see that, and I was disappointed when uh, we didn't get yeah. to see. I mean, we see some of the tentacles hey, you sort get, of come out of the baby. <laughs> do we get tentacles? Yeah. So, okay, I mean, come that, on. That's interesting, come though. Like, I like this because your first. Experience Exposure to yeah. spear from space ah. was the target. Mm-hmm. So Terence Dix has put this in your mind. Mm-hmm. He's ignited that. <laughs> uh, he, look, he's that, picked yeah. up the target <laughs> and he's flicking through it. That is a beautiful problem that you do get with some of those great target. Yeah, that's cause, right. Because I because we read so many of them in the nineties when we didn't have access to, to Doctor Who. It's become the like the sort of the core the source material for your in your imagination of what what things look like. And yeah. then often you see the show, yeah. and it's a little bit of a disappointment because it's not and as good as you imagined it. Yeah. What page number is that? This is 149 of so the novelisation. Sweet dogs. <laughs> if you do have at hand a target copy of the Autonomous Invasion, turn Invasions, to page. Turn to page. Was it one 149? And 149. Beautiful line drawing of what seems to be a nightmarish. It's great. Uh, Lovecraftian yeah. figure of Lovecraftian. An absolutely. It's, it's giantly sort of like standing over them, the Doctor and Liz, and that was what was in my head. Yeah. So when I saw well, the clean yeah. rack, rap anus, as you say, I'm yeah. massively disappointed. Absolutely. And yeah, there's the other beautiful thing about these targets is that, you know, we're looking at an era when there was illustrations yeah, as the well. Yeah, illustrations. Oh, you know, like the it's first a run beautiful of illustration. Sure. That Cyclopean, so that Cyclopean um, Lovecraft thing is how you imagined it before you saw the, the actual one. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's in the text itself. So Terence sort of, you know, improves upon what we see on screen and maybe delivers the effects that the production team would, were hoping to have done with, you know, as you say, Cole 45P. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because uh, the story is altered and we actually get, you know, the, the, the huge monster arrives on Earth, which I- we actually don't get to see on screen. <laughs> Do you know what would have worked a lot better? Just in regards to the tentacles that we did get to see in Spearhead from Space. Put some Vaseline on them. Yeah. I, they, I mean, they, they were actually a good prop. You could tell that they, they were, were a well-made will... prop, but they went in dry with those mm. tentacles, man. They needed <laughs> they needed on... to be oiled up, you know? Like, I'm going on the record to say I love the Snotfield bin bag and I love the tentacle scene at the end. Mm. I totally forgot that that happened. Yeah. And there's one shot, again, great direction and great performance from Gurning Pertwee. There's a couple of shots where he's totally enveloped and he's, he's doing the gurning, but there's one shot where there's like smoke in the background. He has been wrapped in these tentacles yep. and I laughed so hard and I not not in a mocking way, I so enjoyed that scene. It, was yeah, so, and it, re- yeah. it really goes on for a long time as <laughs> we, well. Yeah. And really you know what? I've just realised as you were describing it, that was the first time, it was his first story and it's the first time we saw Pertwee do the cat weasel sort of, yeah. you know, the not grimace, the like a, not the last, and, in, and of course, Terror of the Autons is the other one that comes to yes. mind. We spoke about that with the telephone wire around yeah, the neck, yeah. and he was doing mm. the same sort of like, yeah, wouldn't change a thing. Love that tentacle scene, <laughs> totally. I would oil it up, but well, you know, yeah. oil it up, like you know, look, yeah. maybe they couldn't afford the oil. I don't know, <laughs> just some 
axle grease or something. Money, just to, a bit of Vaseline. Money. Surely there's Vaseline. Vaseline in the costume department. Vaseline on, doesn't like, grow on trees, Cole. <laughs> yeah, it's but expensive. it does get it does get put on lips and on actors, you know, faces and so. I mean, there's plenty of Vaseline on the actual like. The the the, uh, the doppelgangers, the, replicas, yeah. the doppelgangers of Vaseline, they look great they that way. Great they look fantastic. Don't they look good? They look and, and that's plastic, a way that you yeah. can tell. Yeah, that's a way you can tell when Scobie's not the real Scobie. Oh my yeah, gosh! Yeah, that yeah. was immediately like obvious who's about. Like you know, not so much that you'd be like, can't you tell, you idiot? <laughs> but like you could tell. Yeah, I love that. I love yeah, that. I love. Um, we, we'll be talking about that later, obviously, in mm. another segment. But yeah, that Scobie doppelganger scene. Where he answers the door and he's faced with his own doppelganger. Oh my god, that was, that was great. great, so great. So and what did you think about that climactic uh, sort of uh, fight scene with the nesting consciousness feet? I actually think they did a really great job with no budget. Yeah, uh, it, they're at a hiding to nothing because <laughs> you know it looks it's aged poorly for for the day. It was it was pretty good. It's it, look, it's a great climax to oh, an awesome story. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't read the books before sure. I saw yeah, the show, okay. so to me that just was mm. what it was. And I would like to reiterate this point. We've always said, Steve, <laughs> that these the budgetary restraints of the show where it falls short, you have to forgive it. Yeah, you have to forgive I, it. I, I yeah. think like, this time I feel like there's there's not that much to forgive. It just it still it still looks like that that shot on film. It's beautiful. It's like sixties spy film. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. a little bit wacky. Like mm. it's just a little bit like the smoke and like poetry being like over gurning. I just <laughs> I just love it. I just loved mm. it. I was not expecting. It and I had such a good time watching that. I, I think the direction really adds to it as well. So you got a lot of the close-up handheld stuff from yeah, Martinez, yeah. Uh, and also the winding back. So it's it's in reverse. Mm. The, the the way that the tentacles wrap around exactly. the Doctor. Obviously, that's not the way that they did it. Sure, they wrapped it around sure. Perwi and then unleashed it, and yep. then filmed it and re- reversed it. We did. They did the same with disappearing bodies, like when the when the autons would uh, fire yeah. at a oh, body. That was so you'd see good. the you'd see yeah, the, the smoke, smoke go backwards. Oh, so it was I like yeah, man. that's how they. Smoke. Yeah. Total destruction. And that's yes. how they did the body disappearing, which is great. Yeah. It's so yeah. great. I love yeah. those, like, instead of uh, a weird sort of, like, um, CSO thing or some crap effect, they just yeah. did like, that great practical effect of the smoke coming out of people's backs, mm-hmm. which yeah. I found really disturbing. Yeah. And then yeah. when they disappeared in that backwards puff of smoke, so good. Yeah, it was cool. Mm. I totally yeah. forgot yeah, about Yeah, actually, that. we yeah. were saved CSO, weren't we? Because we, as we talked about with Terror of the Autons, that was sort of like the the dawning age of them going crazy with CSO sure, yeah. <laughs> and everything had to be CSO we're not quite there yet well they no. weren't really sure if they could do it with colour at the time I think no didn't they say they tried to use some CSO but um, they kept this getting the, the, the silhouette of the green screen yeah. around ah. everything they did so they had to change the way they were. They yeah. did the whole yeah, it didn't. it didn't and come into it's great yeah. I can't fault the episode no it didn't come into play until later, but yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's, it's our first Auton episode. It's the first time we get the sort of hands dropping down oh. with that oh. wonderful that wonderful weapon. Mm. It's so simple. I, w- but- I want to just say something that Steve said to me when we were watching it um, on Monday. When I, was, I, was, I remember looking at you and saying, how fantastic is mm. that, the way the hand drops down? Mm. And Steve said, it's because you can do it in the playground. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Kids could, like it yeah. was just such a great idea. The mechanics of stuff like this is just... Uh, and, and you know what? For, this is why working under 45p and time pressures yeah, actually yeah. creates these moments of genius. It's like, we've got to be able to do this cheaply and efficiently and quickly. Mm. How do we do it? We have the hand yep. uh, as the gun rather than, you know, create a gun in and of itself. Because yeah. that's going to cost yeah. far too much and it's going to take too long to do it. So that kind of thing is genius because, as you say, 
Yeah. You know, the idea that you can just go to the playground the next day and, and you know, pretend that your wrist and, is falling away and shoot and people. It, and it's that great idea, the reveal again, like the inanimate object, the thing that you mm. think is safe. Well, that's not a hand, guys. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a gun. Yeah. And all they had to do was saw the fingers off of a mannequin, put a hinge on it, and then yep. stick some yeah. business inside. And, and that, it, that sound, that the, the sound effect is so like, iconic. Yes. Yeah. It's, so, yeah. it's so great. I really Don't love they it. make a reference to it as well in the story, the sound of the gun? It sounded like a whooshing noise. And then a, <laughs> oh, yeah. There's something like that. I oh, that was when Dribbly Lips is spilling tea everywhere. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Dribbly Lips. <laughs> Ramson, <laughs> played by Jerick Smee. What a great nervous Nelly he was. Oh, my oh, God. He so when, he, when he came in, uh, he, when he started doing the bug eyes and the, and the wild face, oh. I was like, he looks so much like Brian Cox to me for a minute. <laughs> I was like, wow, he looks like Brian <laughs> But but man, when he gets oh, when he gets God. freaked out and he uh, yeah. and he has a breakdown. Oh, and he just can't he can't even drink the tea. <laughs> like, yeah. come on, you're an Englishman, get it down. Dribbling <laughs> yeah. it everywhere. It's like, uh, yeah, dial it back, dial it back. And then, I mean, you talk about uh, Pertwee gurning, but <laughs> yeah, oh my God, he really gets uh, upstaged by uh, dribble lips. Ransom, yeah. Ransom doesn't survive, right? I don't think he. No, because no. It's the, he's the total destruct guy. He's the yeah, guy gets destroyed. Oh, there's a few of them, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, he's the first one. Isn't yeah, right. he's the yeah, he's the one who. Oh, in the tent. Yeah, totally I was so grateful when he was finally killed. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> it, it was good, and I like the fact that nobody realized what had happened to him. They're like, "Oh, yeah. someone's someone's kidnapped him. He's escaped. No, he's dead. <laughs> he's just gone." <laughs> um, and then you've got that like like forever iconic scene of uh, Auton shop dummies coming alive. Uh, oh in the, my in the shop god! Windows. And they really, they really, they really went all out with it. Like, like they didn't actually break any shop glass. Yeah. Right, but yeah. this is it, right? People but, remember it as the Autons yeah. breaking and, the glass. And that was like we were watching that doco Derek yeah. show and was saying like I really wanted them to let <laughs> yeah. me break yeah. a shop window and they wouldn't let me do it. No way. <laughs> But then, um, yeah, the, like yeah, I, did, I didn't really realize until this this watch that they don't actually break the glass. Because in my memory, they always in do. your memory. That's right. In the book, and yeah. then I, maybe it's been overwritten by the Auton, um the, the Christmas. Is it the Christmas invasion? Uh, no, it's it's mm. Rose. It's the first Eccleston yeah. story. That's right. Where they, yeah. they do smash. The glass. Where they do smash it. Where you finally get to see what you really looking. So yeah. Think you saw yeah. budget already paid off. <laughs> then, pardon the pun. But then you've really got like quite graphic like shots of people getting shot and like people in the oh, street, yeah. just the public who have no idea what's going on. They're suddenly. Um, uh, stampeding and screaming and running away. Down. Mm. So you have people running, stepping over bodies yeah, yeah. on the street. It's pretty. It's pretty heavy. But I, like they, they, yeah, they didn't scrimp on it. I it's it close to home, isn't it? We yeah. were talking last time with Terror of the Autons. So it's actually maybe just a little bit after this point in history. But you know, Britain starts to suffer terrorist attacks at home due to the IRA. Mm. So this sort of thing can happen. You're sort of mm. standing at the bus stop waiting in the morning, and you you're going to get mowed down by a just, gun. Well, yeah, just yeah. an innocent everyday street scene can or, turn into you know, an Auton, mm. yeah, or an Auton. <laughs> That, and all those uh, the the handheld shots, the the feet running, all that mm. stuff yeah, in the yeah. streets, so the cool. mustard gas, sort yeah, of thing evoking you know memories of World War One as well. Just wow. that, that noxious gas that rises from people when they're shot oh, by yeah, the autons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. yeah. incredible. Mm. Yeah, with that scene um, with the autons coming to life and coming out through the windows, we're only a year from Night of the Living Dead as well. Ah, right. So you've got you've got that really fresh, like massive horror movie, massive mm. zombie sort of feeling. Yes. It really um, filters in beautifully with this storyline. Yeah, they I could see that. Beautifully, it's great. You do. Yeah. You see the imagery of um, God mannequins in the street mm. as opposed to zombies. It's it's a similar sort of. It's a similar thing, yeah. and and even the breaking glass. I'm sure we've got some of yeah. that in Night of the Living Dead. Oh sure, for sure. Sort of stuff. Yeah. like slow moving, stalking the streets, not alive but not dead. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just don't yeah. let them get their hands on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Great call. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Can we go back to the Autons and talk a little bit about the idea of plastic? Mm. 
plastic being used. I immediately think of the scene in the doll factory. Yeah. Love that scene. Isn't it great? Yeah. It cuts like, straight to it and it's so... And it's gross. It's purposely gross. Yep. Yeah, like, right. Machinery's filthy and these dolls are just having their eyes just that, shoved in. Oh, and, I, yeah, and sewing sort of needles, putting the, the hair in. And as like, well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's... Plastic being injected into molds at high yeah. speed. Yeah. Mm. It yeah. was so... It's so modern and fast. And the way they cut it yeah. and mm. shoot it was so... It was, such, it was so... It was a bit of a shock from the last scene. And it was That's so right. Great. Yeah, it was yeah. really brutal. It's also Brutally really shot. cold and it's dealing with these dolls that you think of, little kids playing with. It's totally, such a yeah. warm, fuzzy sort of concept, but mm. then you're seeing the brutal reality of how they're Wh- made. Where they're actually know? coming and, from, yeah. And how cold and lifeless they really can be without the clothes mm. and the hair, the hair and everything on yeah. them. Which, anyway. it, totally. Which yeah. is just such a genius like visual shortcut by Martinez because obviously that's that speaks to the Autons, that speaks mm. to the Nestines. You know, these are these implacable you know, evil plastic yeah. villains. Um, you can't take you know a doll that kids are playing with and, mm. and re- represent that as evil if you don't have that something like that that really sort of dissociates the plastic that we see, the Autons yeah. that we see, the factory mm. that we see from you know the the stereotypical perhaps sort of connotations and of dolls. Another mm. great horror flick that we uh, see this repeated in the same scene with the dolls being made and everything is uh, Child's Play. Uh, oh, yeah. oh god that scene in it I mean look oh wow yeah. I haven't seen that in years I used to it, love Charles Play. the first one was a good one you know? yeah that's the one that's yeah, the, one. the one I don't know about the remake but I'm mm. not going near it and, and it's interesting because we get the cold what you memorably memorably call the poo goblin in yeah the oh yeah the, the following year goblin. as well uh, training on that yeah it's the poo goblin <laughs> so they managed to turn plastic which is uh, well you know like the, the idea of this like very like you said Pete like the warm idea of the doll that children play with with, yeah. or the idea mm. of the shop mannequin which you don't even like look twice at you don't see it as a as a, no, a anything you, but an object you'd, you'd look at the clothes it's wearing because exactly. that's what what it's yeah. selling it's and it, it's yeah and, they, and it comes to life and it's a an evil malevolent force controlled mm. by an evil overmind mm. uh, but <laughs> like i just love the idea that they use plastic they do it again in terror of the autons they've used like in the 60s i guess pla- like plastic molded plastic in this form is kind of brand new space yeah, age space is. age tech absolutely this is what doctor who does so well often it'll take new space age tech and make it um yeah make it like a part of the theme yeah uh, some, sometimes like it, like in this it works really really well and then sometimes it's a bit of a misstep like in arc in space when they use bubble wrap for the <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah but you've got to remember we said at the time yeah. um bubble wrap was a very new thing it was they space didn't age actually tech. it wasn't identifiable as bubble wrap at the time but, but yeah, unfortunately. But they didn't realize it was going to be totally universal. No, and yeah, years. and like wrapping many goods the world over. But in, but yeah. here, here it just works so well and it makes something that's like by, by that point becoming like something, like a staple, something you see in every home. Yeah. Uh, something is, a kid sees everywhere they look. The 1970s uh, is when we get, you know, polyester and plastics and sure. it's the u- ubiquity of this new material mm-hmm. that's meant to be so much yeah. cheaper and easier and to produce than the natural substances. We get a lot more of it with the second Auton story, Terror of the Autons, don't yeah, we? We've got like true. the plastic couch mm-hmm. that eats mm-hmm. the dude. We've yeah. got the flowers. Mm-hmm. We've got the telephone wire. <laughs> like it's household objects. Yeah. That could attack you. That a kid sees every day and is yeah. is made That's terrifying right. by these geniuses. Yeah, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Why do we have this on Blu-ray? Okay, that's a really good question, Carl. Huh? So, uh, Sweet Talks wouldn't have failed to notice that this entire uh, four-part story is filmed on on film on sixteen yeah. millimeter because it looks so different immediately. Incredible! Oh, it's it beautiful. looks gorgeous, fantastic. Yeah. Even yeah. if you didn't know, I think you'd probably notice that something was different. Yeah, right. mm. and it is prior to the recent releases of the Blu-ray box sets. Yeah, the, the first 
Doctor Who story to actually be released on, on Blu-ray because you, you can with with uh, 16 millimeter film you can up-res it and you mm. can release it in that fashion mm. um, it looks absolutely beautiful but do we know why well at the time there was um, a lot of uh, industrial action going on with the writers and, <laughs> yeah there's huge BBC strike at the time and they was it they didn't have time to do the studio to yeah. do the studio yeah. and, well, they had and the money for the sets and all that and yeah. uh, the producer came out and said give me a handheld and um, that's great and we we'll go a, to location and a place yeah. a good location and uh, yeah I'll sort it out for you and I think there was a lot of worries about the cost of filming mm. on location yeah. and that and but he was adamant that yeah. he could make the film mm. and he, yeah. look it it makes this story it for really me does. like the the visual representation of everything the handheld shots um, even things like uh the brigadier being interviewed by the yes. by the press the and press, you know, his cameras yeah. in his face yeah. like you're one of the paparazzi he, there. Yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. That it's part really so good. That part really felt like a like a movie to me. Like because mm-hmm. I've never seen like the handheld mm. work and the way they've, they've, they've the way they directed and filmed that press mm. that press scene was so yeah. great. That was yeah. uh, so dynamic and like fun and silly, kind of silly as well. But yeah. in, in, it, in a good way, where you have the brigadier like right in the middle, like desillying everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely no comment. It's funny that. Um, no one seemed to really understand how shooting on location would be a benefit as opposed to building a set. And like something that Derek Sherwin mentions that he knew straight away, he was like, don't even worry about it. Because yeah. we're, we're, we're going to be shooting in a set that isn't going to look like a set. It's location. Mm. Yeah. It's like shooting in the hospital, even down to the foyer with that news, yeah. the news scene with the handheld. Yeah. Like there's the, the doll factory. Yeah. Everything's location. The wheelchair mm. chase. The wheelchair oh, chase. The hallway yeah. shot. Even, where yeah. 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 Where, yeah. Like, where it's all pokey. The yeah. Everything's pokey. They've got yeah. a yeah. sort of bustle around people it's yes. so good where Henderson yeah. has to like edge around the porter with the yeah. vacuum cleaner yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> immediately I was like why are they why are they focusing on him getting around this porter and then uh, so when the porter like does that weird he calls the he's like eavesdropping the then, I, then I was like alright okay. Yeah, but before that I was like so why are they <laughs> why is there a vacuum cleaner happening in this scene no but and it works in this instance because uh, Sherwin's very conscious and, and Holmes is very conscious in writing it so that the settings are very commonplace we've got yeah. a, We've got a hospital, we've got, you know, a plastics factory, uh, we've got uh, Oxley Woods. These are mm. not mm. places that you have to construct sets for. Yeah. And mm. whilst they did a little bit of set work on, at Ealing mm. uh, and also filmed it on film there. Yeah, well, the uh, only one I can think of would be the, um, the, the Auton the, Lab. Yeah, yes, exactly they, right. Yeah. The rest of it actually is, you know, location work where you can just pitch up, right, yep. we're filming here today and tomorrow, we're going to get this done. Uh, and the, of course, Martinus is incredible in this. We have, you know, the the wheelchair uh, mm. chase shot. Yeah. You know, dynamic scenes. You know, interspliced. We've got the the Auton, you know, coming out onto the road from the forest. Oh and, my you know, God. Causing the jeep to crash, and the handheld sort of does a spin. Yeah, the, cra- yeah. the crash yeah. was really good. Uh, well, it's the camera does that spin. Yeah, really and fun. then it's framed yes. through the windscreen, which the is broken, broken windscreen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have yeah. you know the unit soldier slumped over the wheel. Yeah, so what looks to be orangey red blood oh, painted onto the onto the windscreen. We got blood. Yeah, yeah. We got and, blood. Yeah. And then you know the camera sort of shifts focus as, mm. as you see uh, the Auton's face. That's obviously caused that it's wonderful visual storytelling going back to the redness of the blood yeah (laughs) i mean can we maybe agree that because it was color film and everyone was a little bit excited they were just like let's make it it redder make it redder (laughs) that crash scene you're right it's it's so beautifully shot it it could easily be out of a slasher flick from the 80s. Yes. <laughs> it, it could easily be Friday the 13th. It could be yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael Myers. It could be, huh? you know. Michael Myers, yeah. Yeah, it could be mm. any of those, uh, you know. 
That's interesting. Michael Myers with the boiler suit and the mask, and then you've got the automa- automated autons. They're in, it's a similar look. <laughs> yeah, Very look similar. similar look. I wonder which one. Was, um, <clears throat> uh, but the, yeah, there's that that wheelchair scene. He, I just forgot how fast he goes. He's really he really hairs around that corner <laughs> yeah. at one point. I was just like, <laughs> man, Pertwee's really nailing this. Uh, I would be terrified to go down a hill that fast on a just a regular wheelchair. It's, hey, he was probably he was a navy man, man. Yeah, I reckon he yeah. was right into it. Like, yeah, he probably just did that. They probably just did it on the deck for laughs. <laughs> uh, yeah, and speaking of action, this one's not action by Havoc, right? No, 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 no. Can... They haven't come in yet. No. They haven't come in. But we will be doing a certain story, which is their first I feel... one. All right. I feel <laughs> you can tell. There's a lot of scenes where unit guys are firing guns, and every single time they fire a gun, they're like blinking. <laughs> they like they're like oh oh oh. Every time they shoot a gun, they blink uncontrollably. It was really cute. I really liked it. The other brave thing about Pertwee doing that wheelchair scene on his own was the fact that his mouth was typed up, taped up so he couldn't oh, scream yeah. for help. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to say, stop me, stop me. Yeah, and brings to mind another tight shot in part three, I think it is, yep. where uh, they send the Auton to Total Destruct Ransom. It's Channing and Hibbert on screen in a tight shot. Yeah. And when I first saw that, I thought they were looking at a screen, but they're not, yeah. right? So it's Channing, who's obviously part of the nesting consciousness yeah. gestalt entity, who's like, you know, seeing oh, this thing in his mind. Staring into space, yeah. And right. it's Hibbert, who, by the way, John Woodnut, <laughs> who we saw the as the Duke joke. of Forgill yeah. back in <laughs> Terror of the Zygons. That, that, that was such a lovely surprise. <laughs> was, was, but I didn't realise he was I knew he wasn't Scottish. I, I was going to say, accent. I didn't like, realise he, he wasn't, wasn't Scottish. Like, yeah. Confirmed. <laughs> oh, no, I think we probably called that in the, in the we episode. Did. We, we did. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. But it's a tight shot of those two and... I don't know what's going on, yeah. but it's almost as though like Hibbert's trying to like look into Channing's mind. Yeah, <laughs> but it's wonderful. It's a beautiful shot again, and uh, well, sort see- of con- conveys exactly what's going on, which is Channing mind controlling the Auton, mm. um, and yeah, just a lovely shot. Oh, I was just gonna say, going back to the way he was looking at. Channing, yeah, it's, it was almost out of morbid fascination. Mm, yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's great. It's such a great scene. I love Wood Knight in this one as well. There's that bit where he kind of is broken out of the hypnosis for a while. In part he, four? Yeah, he really yeah. nails that bit. It's yeah. really, you really feel for him. Yeah, definitely. See him, like, like you kind of know that he's going to he's gonna cop it. But, and when he does, it's, I was, yeah, mm. I was sad to see that little puff of smoke disappear. Yeah, we, we kind of see that also Backwards. later with the Master and Farrell in Terror of these uh, Autons as well, I, I think. You know, the way in which, like, the slave... Uh, sort of breaks free from the conditioning. Yeah, yeah. and then dies. And then dies. Yeah. <laughs> that happens a lot in this series. Dan? Yes, Cole? Do you remember a few episodes back, I came up with a new segment. Um, <laughs> it was called, Gentlemen, What Did We Forget? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one because it helps us to uh, go back. Do you know what? I got, I got too ahead of myself. Yeah, I thought yeah. this time around we'd be able to boast that we hadn't forgotten anything and that we were, it was proof that we were getting better at doing this. Unfortunately... I thought uh, we hadn't forgotten anything, but yeah, I think there's a few things. Yeah, well, number one, can we talk a little bit about unit headquarters, the lab? Oh, the lab's, lab's great. <laughs> you see it right from the start and it's like, it's edited into the whole the whole story. Mm. And it's it's kind of that classic shot. You've got the TARDIS in the corner, yep. a bunch of like, uh, like the way a child imagines a chemistry set, you know, like there's the, with the beakers, <laughs> beakers and the and swirly, burners. swirly yeah. straws. To this, and like- to this day, whenever someone says chemistry lab, I imagine the unit lab, you know, with the stupid <laughs> curly glass things and like, you know, it's, it's a kid's idea. If you were watching it at the time of going to air, you'd be forgiven for not realizing that that lab is going to pop up again yeah. and again and again mm. through mm. the earthbound era. Yeah, I think it does change the set every, oh, now, every now and then. But so. like, yeah, that yeah. setting of the, the Doctor's laboratory yeah. is kind of like 
the the TARDIS console room for many mm. for the yeah well because there's the point yes. where he brings the he brings the console yeah, out of the TARDIS too. and yeah. stuff it's yeah. like in Inferno when yeah. they use that that space for that, like that cool it's, like, exactly it's home for us it is yeah. Yeah. and yeah. and this is where it starts and uh, the my favorite thing about one of my favorite things about this story is all the time that Brigadier and Liz get together like mm. we've already said it's really lovely but then when the Doctor comes in and immediately warms to Liz they're mm. they're immediately kind yep. of like yep. equals you know they have the, they have mm. like you said yeah. Pete well he he charms the socks off her immediately doesn't Sure. Like, yeah. well, you know, she he immediately likes her, mm. and they they immediately start working together. They're trying to work out what that plastic the mm. plastic shell is, the nesting shell. Do yeah, you know what? Wow. I I really love that idea. Just going back to the idea of home, mm. the fact that we've said it in an unearthly child. Mm-hmm. The TARDIS is like home. It's like the sound of home is like that TARDIS hum. Yeah. The idea that we don't have so much a, a TARDIS console room that's being operational. Yeah. They've brought the console out. They, of the TARDIS they and do put it in the lab where yeah, a lot yeah. of the action does happen. Yeah. That becomes home. That, that That's does happen awesome. later in yeah. season seven, definitely, yeah. But mm. but whenever we get whenever they whenever they do an establishing shot of the the, the lab, you always get the TARDIS in yes. the corner. So you yes. always know your home. It's a good it's a great place to start. Yeah. I feel like a lot of this uh, era of Doctor Who, if you're not in the lab, the console room with the Doctor head in the console yeah. doing mm. repairs yeah. which we see throughout Tom Baker's run as yeah, well sure. lots of uh, repairs on the run of the of the console mm-hmm. and those two two settings the the lab and the console room mm. in a state of disrepair yeah uh, yeah they really feel like part of this era to I me. think mm. I actually think Pert we might be the first tinkering doctor the first doctor to be constantly tinkering with his console mm. Does Troughton do it much? I can't, he does it a little it, bit, but it Hartnell doesn't, doesn't really do it much. It really becomes an archetype, like you yeah. said, because mm. Baker's always in yeah. the console room underneath Constantly. it. Yeah, yeah. you always have the legs. A bunch of wires. Yeah. Asking yeah. for someone to pass it's him great. something. It's like know, he's working like, on a car. He's got yeah. his legs yeah. sticking out. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And right. it happens yeah. all the way into New Who as well. I like yeah. distinct memories oh, of Matt Smith hanging upside down doing soldering iron. Yeah, yeah. I think Perry was the first. Could well be. Isn't there an episode where he and Rory are working together on the... Underneath the console, that, that rings yeah, really there is. Yeah. He's like passing him stuff. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 there is. Yeah. It's a good trick. I guess it does start here, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. There are so many things about who even now that start with this era. Mm. It's it's fantastic. It's yeah, just wonderful. It, that even, is true. Even the like the, the last season of Capaldi, where he's sort of got the Titus permanently stashed in that university, mm. kind of felt like oh, that was yeah. the home. Oh, mm. that's a he's great point. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's, it's the kind blue of like, box in the corner of the room. And, yeah. and, mm. and you've got artifact, like things from the Titus lying around, like the mm. sonic yeah. screwdrivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, it's <laughs> so cool. It's very true. That is a good well, point. You know, Capaldi's somewhat earthbound in that season because he's he's you know promised to stay and guard the vault that's and, true and you know he does leave but he always comes back yeah. as yeah. he's leaving so yeah. you know kind of he's cheating kind, kind of kind of his earth back, like <laughs> out of a sense of loyalty i have no yeah. doubt that series yeah. 10 is influenced by the poet yeah, yeah definitely sure. yeah yeah not least because of capaldi's hair um another <laughs> uh, well, yes. an- another primarily establishing <laughs> primarily another establishing shot of the unit hq that i really love that actually we don't see later on is this kind of like inner city london setting uh and you know, they sort of disappear into you know some underground uh lair which is where the the unit hq sort of entrance is and to me that's very reminiscent visually of a number of scenes in things like the ipcris file uh which ah, is one of my favorite yeah. films from 1965 totally. with michael Caine. um and it just echoes that sort of spy fi genre that i think season seven and spearhead from space kicks off in real earnest for the pertwee years it's not something that continues in a huge to a huge degree um from season eight onwards but i think you know season seven with things like ambassadors of death uh there's a real sort of hearkening back to that that's sort of the british spy fi genre that 
even by 
uh, Liz instantly. Mm. And, you know, we tend to sort of respond to him positively, much more positively in this story than we do the sort of, you know, arrogant character that we see in things yeah. like The Mind of Evil. Um, but yeah, that that sort of the flashes of of that sort of charm yeah. and that hum- humanity yeah. and, the, and the and the humor is there from from the first story, and mm. we definitely see it, I guess, when he mellows. Uh, you know, in, th- in things like season ten, season eleven, in particular, mm. for John Perry. Yeah, by the time he gets to Sarah Jane, he's quite kindly. He well, is, I feel yeah. like yeah, but that's funny, isn't it? I feel like early on, he's you know he's so concerned about his TARDIS not working yeah. and being trapped on Earth that. You know, he kind of finds the situation that units in and that they need him for a bit of a distraction yeah. from all that. He just wants to be working on his TARDIS, and you know, as that his era moves on, you know, he becomes more and more warm to mm. Earth. And, mm. Yeah, I was just thinking about the introduction of Joe Grant and Terror of the Autons. Is how cold and yeah, kind of horrible he was. Yeah, he yeah. Was yeah. In, like, definitely. I think it's because she was the tea lady. It's because he loved Liz Shaw so much. That's how I always thought about it. It's just like, I want to Instantly like warms to her. Yeah, know? like he, he wants another scientist. But mm, then... True uh, that. Uh, yeah. As with the producers, he quickly realises what he probably does want is Joe Grant. Because <laughs> she's, she's great. And now, we have finally come to a little segment we like to call... Cliffhangers, Crackers or Clangers. Without further ado, we're going to go through the cliffhangers of Spearhead from Space, decide was it a cracker, was it a clanger, and or why. Or somewhere in between. Or somewhere in between, <laughs> as we have invented, yeah. <laughs> like a cranger. Or a clacker. Or a banger. Ooh, banger, I like that. Okay, let's do this. Okay. So after a high-risk wheelchair chase, the doctor <laughs> scrambles through some trees and gets shot by a unit guard. <laughs> Oh, the old famous uh, uh-huh. Doctor Who bullet yep. temple graze. Yep. How many bloody temples get grazed by bullets at Doctor Who? Well, it was Harry, Harry Sullivan in Terror of the Zygons. Yeah, yeah. He got bullet grazed. And, and a lot of minor characters over the years have been shot at point blank range with a rifle <laughs> and had the, it just it's just skimmed the side of their head. It's, it's just a great way to have a cliffhanger without actually killing anyone. <laughs> it's yeah. great. I love it. And I'm not sure. I can't think off the top of my head of any other fiction where someone gets knocked out by a bullet grazed to the, to the head. And I, for one, am fine with that. I actually love this cliffhanger. I'm giving it a cracker. And it's the reason I love it is the first time it gets seen, we've only just been given this doctor. Mm. What? Yeah. Could he be dead? Mm. Immediately love shot. It. Love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a cracker for me. Yeah, yeah definite cracker. Wonderful ending. Um, again, yeah. Uh, even though it's a trope of the grazed... Well, I feel like this is a real like English television thing yeah. from the 60s and 70s. Absolute cracker of an ending. I really enjoyed it. I think it's a cracker as well. I particularly love the location shoot. Um, oh god, yeah. You know the Oxley Woods or whatever wherever mm. it is that it's it's, uh, it's uh, just looks really beautiful. You have got the Tardis standing in the clearing there. Um yeah. Uh it's a, it's a cracker in terms of the plot, but I also just love the the way that it's shot too. So I love it. Pertwee's got the tape over his mouth and so he has to do extra <laughs> acting with his eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was the other great thing about like coming in uh, like coming in after that cliffhanger at the start of episode 2. You know, like he came out, he came out of nowhere. He like I told him to stop, and he's like, "Well, how could he? He's got his mouth taped. Yeah. He can't say anything. Yeah, he yeah, can't yeah. announce who he is. He can't. Yeah, didn't have to shoot him with a like a United Nations rifle <laughs> with a giant bullet. Well, I only grazed him, sir. <laughs> so unanimous mm. cracker. Moving on to episode two, Dribble Lips finds Nestine HQ, and an Auton sneaks up on him. So this is good old Dribbly Lips. This ransom. is ransom. Ransom. Before his uh, overacting with the T. R.A.P. Ransom. The reason he was so shocked was because he stumbled across Nestine HQ and got the fright of his life when an Auton snuck up on him. It 
This one's really... This is a pretty classic... Uh, it's pretty great. I yeah. like it. Uh, I, I'm going to go one further to the cracker and call this a banger. <laughs> <laughs> banger, eh? Yeah. not so sure I'm going to go as far as banger. Uh, what I really do like about it is just the Auton coming to life behind him. That's what it... Mm. That's what probably... It's a great shot. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, as far as cliffhangers go, that one's serviceable. It's it works. Great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely cracker for me as well. Um, yeah, that guy, I just, yeah, every I scene he was in was hilarious. He, was, he was really... But it was still a great cliffhanger for the end of that episode as the, well. So, well, look, okay, performance aside, it's still a unanimous cracker. <laughs> Yo, well, with, sorry, with one banger. Okay, episode three, the major answers the door only to come face to face with his Auton doppelganger amazing absolutely um, incredible i'll have to relegate my previous answer to a regular cracker and elevate this one to, to a, a banger. super banger yeah. because dude it's so good crack banger and pop this <laughs> one <laughs> and, and like this isn't just about the idea of the cliffhanger the performance by the wonderful hamilton dice who mm. plays uh general scoby he's playing uh he's playing the doppelganger and himself in the same scene yeah. Love it. A bit of split screen going on there. This, yeah. is, this is the reason you have like a sort of a doppelganger plot line yeah. so that you can have someone face themselves. That's mm. right. And this one is, is so great because he's so waxen and lifeless and Scobie freaks out. It's great. <laughs> but how alien does he look? Yeah. He looks so alien. It's not just the Vaseline on his face or whatever. It's the, just the look on his face. Mm. Mm. Everyone who plays a doppelganger kind of really kind of brings it in that way. Like there's just that little bit of Vaseline which is just enough to tell you what's going on. But it also <laughs> is really creepy. Yeah. And he, yeah. Credit where credit's due, he was able to sort of create the menace and be menaced by it. Yeah. In the same scene. Double like, duty. I love the way he's like, no, no. That's great. Hamilton Dice. That is a hell of a name. Hamilton. <laughs> wonderful. Dice. What was the other guy's name that we discovered? There was another day. Uh, what was it? Prentice Hancock. Prentice Hancock. Wow. Prentice Hancock. the uh, Hamilton reporter. Hamilton Dice. That's a hell of a cast. <laughs> His yeah. name is Hamilton Dice. Yeah. Feels like he could just use that name in a spy flick himself. You know? Yeah. Dice. Hamilton Dice. <laughs> Yeah, this one's a this one's a yeah definitely banger. A crack banger. Oh, yeah, 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 we're going sure. banger on this. I'm one. I'm going banger. Yeah. First Love time it. ever Love unanimous it. banger. <laughs> wow, nice Excellent. one, lads. Yeah, this yeah. is a super. We've uh, set a precedent. Okay, crackers, clangers, or bangers. All right, unanimous banger. Moving on, episode four. Now this is Smith, Doctor John Smith. Mm. First time we ever hear the name. The Doctor agrees to continue helping Unit in exchange for facilities, Liz Shaw, and an antique car, which is also oh, yeah. the creation of Bessie or the birth of Bessie, <laughs> who we see later. This is great. Mm. Uh, I particularly like this because it sort of establishes what the Unit years will be like. Yeah. It sets the mm. rules for the audience to expect that next week you'll see the Doctor team up with the Brigadier and Liz Shaw and yep. there'll be another alien invasion. Yep. Uh, it's sort of all there, I guess. It's... And- Beautifully tied up, isn't it? It is, but it also, you know, it's beautiful because it ties up what we now know is a cliche, which is the what John Pertwee said on uh, at his first press conference, which is his doctor will deal with earthbound threats, that alien invasions, and and the very sort of memorable um, example that he used was it's far more frightening to to see to have a a yeti sitting on the loo in Tooting Beck (laughs) than it is to you know visit alien planets and and uh, you know alien monsters and whatever else. And I think that kind of threat to home, that threat to the safety of home, is is something Mm. that's implicit Mm. uh, in the way in which not just spearhead from space, but the whole Pertwee sort of era. 
unfolds. It's great. Yeah. Cracker. They really wind up yeah. in that last Cracker. minute. You, they really, yeah, you really feel them winding up to that last moment and for that whole last minute. And I was like, well, it's going to be a really good BBC <laughs> crap joke. I can't wait. And then he just really, like, Pertree is just like relishing that line. He's like, <laughs> Smith, Dr. John Smith. And you're like, yes. <laughs> and then we, so get, and we get the grin. The yeah. classic Pertwee grin so to good. say goodbye to that story. I go, it's a cracker. Can it's I an just cracker. say it's a real, like, fist pump moment? Yeah. You yeah. 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 From, yeah. Totally. From yeah. Pertwee, you know, it's like, yeah. Doesn't <laughs> Doesn't he even like look over his shoulder when he's like, "What is your name?" And he like looks. Well, it's Smith, <laughs> actually. Yeah, we, get the, John we Smith. get the look to camera. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and he literally winks down the camera. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's yeah. awesome. Is this going to be another unanimous cracker and making yep. this a four? Cliffhanger, unanimous say. cracker. Well, that, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. actually, technically it doesn't if, we're, if episode three was a banger. With a few bangers. Uh, yeah. Look, look, look a banger is yeah. just a cracker with bonus. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a unanimous... A banger is just mo- a big cracker. Um, unanimous multi-crack. Yeah, banger is one big cracker. Um, okay, and you know what? Yeah, well, there was no clackers. There was no clangers. No. no. There no, was man. nothing. First nothing time ever. ever. Approaching it. Like, no. Wow. No. Did that ever happen before? No. I don't know if he has. Lord, no. But, you know, again, Terrence Dix, Bob Holmes, dream writing team, yeah. you're going to get it. You're going to get the magic. Um, can I just go back? Can we just go back to the car for a second? I forgot to mention this before. Mm. Uh, that's the... He just steals a car. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that like head surgeon's car from yeah, the hospital. Totally. Yeah. The ludicrously... And his clothes. Like, yeah, that's yeah. what I wanted to... Get, the ludicrously, like... Um, uh, toffee-nosed uh, doctor who walks in wearing a cape and he just ha- like the moment where he's looking for a costume it's always a fun moment when he find- the doctor finds his new yeah. costume uh, yeah. but it's it's so he finds that ludicrous outfit hanging on the door with a ruffled <laughs> shirt with a cape and that hat and I love how he tries the peak cap on first and he's like nope too working class well, what I love is he's got like all these different clothes to choose from know, he just not- picks that one guy's outfit like he just wears the exact same outfit it's, that the other guy wore in there it's I think much like how he says at the end of the story um, I was that car yes I was really yeah. taken with that yeah. car I think he was just taken with that cloak and you know, yeah. I think in, this, in the book it says like he, he wears the, the surgeon's deer Hunter cap as well. Uh, yeah, the deer stalker cap. The yeah. deer stalker cap. That's it. So that's not in there. But yeah, like he sort of changes a couple of hats, <laughs> takes the wide brim, it's great. and out he goes. So yeah, he immediately gravitating towards what his personality is going to be. Yeah. I guess yeah. the exactly. flamboyant. You're in, right. you're in a hospital. Just pick. You want to get out of a hospital? Pick a doctor's outfit. Like just pick yeah. it, just put on a lab coat, get a clipboard. You get you're home free. But no, he's going to go all put out. Put on some yeah. scrubs yeah. and a face mask. You Perch know, we, like perch we don't roll like that. He's got to go ostentatious all the way. Right? What's even more strange is that a doctor actually wore those clothes into the place <laughs> so, let alone him wearing the word, them well you know? once once again going back to the book um, that's exactly what his character was supposed to be like he's meant to be this really weird like sort of um, eccentric, eccentric. Yeah. Yeah. loved his old antique cars loved all the clobber that went with it and mm-hmm. that's why he turns up looking like yeah. that an Edwardian or Victorian <laughs> sort of, ludicrous um, is the tough. word I imagined immediately yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Amazing. but then at the end I love how he's like but it's only been created so that we can get to Bessie the car mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. in the yeah, first and, place and those clothes. I, yeah. I just yeah. love how he's like do we have to give the car back yeah. <laughs> like yeah man you gotta give you should yeah. really give the clothes back too bro yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. okay. That's right. It's like the it's like so straight off the cuff. Brigadier's like, no, doctor. <laughs> like, yeah, I love that. And then this is that last little bit where kind of like Pertwee's doctor is just kind of excited about the prospect of having someone buy him a new car. He's like, oh yeah, we're gonna go and choose it soon, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna go and get this car. Also, like the bit you know when he tries to take off in the TARDIS, and of course it doesn't work. Yeah, and he comes out with the smoke, smoke. Really but like weird. how he sits down like a naughty child, and like you know, and he's sort of like he's being scolded, and he's sort of looking up at the brigadier like he, like he's a schoolboy that's been caught red-handed. And that's it's, a great moment for. 
Liz as well. She's yeah. definitely not impressed. That's right. <laughs> She's like, you tricked me, Donald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. I really thought he was going to come out of the TARDIS with like blackened face. Like a sooty, Whoa, yeah, like a sooty face, like a, like, a, you know, like a wily coyote or something. But it wasn't quite that. That All right. Shout outs for this time. We've had a number of people write in actually yeah. since the last time. Thank you very much to everyone who's written in. Two in particular, uh, I think we'd all like to say a big hello mm. To two very sweet dogs, mm-hmm. and that is Samuel and his dad Ross. Yes, hello to been, you both. Who have been in contact with us quite regularly, actually, the last month or two yeah. over the uh, messenger page. Lovely Thank- to get your comments, and uh, love to hear from you. Thank you very much for writing in. Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks for your feedback, and it's nice to know we've uh, we made someone happy. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I'm going to say Samuel has got best Cyberman costume I've ever seen. That's been homemade. <laughs> really cool. Really cute. We've also had a couple of emails. Andrew uh, Brinded and Lionel Burney have got in touch uh, just saying nice things about us and the podcast uh, and telling us their stories about how they got into Doctor Who. So, gents, thank you very much for getting in touch. Mm, Thank you, yeah. Um, And very quickly, I'd like to do just one more shout-out to a good friend of mine. I've known him for many years, Paul Doncaster, who lives over in England. Uh, Many years ago, he was living in Perth, and I met him... We went to school together and we started going to the West Lodge Doctor Who fan club together all mm. those years ago, back when I think I was 14 and he was 13 or something like that. So yeah, Paul, I just want to say hi. We've been in contact for years since uh, and he's a big fan of the podcast and a big fan of Doctor Who in general. So yeah, good day, Paul. Mm. How are you, mate? Mm. And last one, uh, Johnny Spandrel, who we've shouted out before. Randomhoonus.com is his blog. If you haven't had a chance to read any of that, he's actually finished every single episode of Doctor Who ever. And he's, huh. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a labor of love that's come to an end. Uh, a wonderful blog that really tries to take a new spin on every story. So worth a read. I love that idea. I love that idea mm. of doing that's, that's What a, an achievement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a shout out to Johnny. And lastly, of course, one last big thank you to our good mate and yeah. fellow sweet dog, Pete. Cheers, thanks for coming on the show today much, again, guys. mate. Huge no, thanks, great Pete. fun. It's been uh, wonderful being on the show. I had such a great time last time I was on the <laughs> cast. And um, yeah, it's been great being back on. Uh, thanks a lot. Nice one. We wouldn't do a poetry one without you. No, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Good to know. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> Also, this time on Who, we're going to share the love with the uh, a new Pertwee-specific podcast, mm, 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 Five mm. Years Rapid, uh, hosted by Joy Piedmont of The Reality Bomb and Kyle Anderson, who co-hosts uh, Doctor Who, The Writer's Room, with our old friend Eric Stadnick. So if you are interested in Pertwee, if you would like to subscribe, Five Years Rapid, what a great name Such for a Pertwee-specific Such podcast. a great name. Echoing that famous line of the Brigadiers from The Demons. Yep. Uh, hit subscribe, please, on Five Years Rapid. You can purchase Spearhead from Space online in various formats from BBC Online or from various streaming outlets. You can follow us here at New to Who on Facebook and Twitter at New to Who Podcast or even email us at New to Who Podcast at gmail.com. All our episodes can be found at New to Who.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you feel like subscribing or leaving a million star review, obviously these things are a big help to us. So please do it. We hate goodbye, so until next time, I'm Stephen. I'm Cole. I'm Dan. And I'm Pete. Be seeing you. See ya. Bye.